Translation. For so long you did not follow the regulative principles of the Hindu religion, but now you are following them with great enthusiasm. May I know by whose strength you are doing so? Srila Prabhupada's purport. It appears that from the aggression of Vakti, Vakti Yarkiliji in Bengal until the time of Chankazi, Hindus or the followers of the Vedic principles were greatly suppressed. Like the Hindus in present-day Pakistan, practically no one could execute the Hindu religious principles freely. Chand Kazi referred to this condition of Hindu society. Formerly, the Hindus had not been straightforward in executing their Hindu principles, but now they were freely chanting the Hare Krishna Maha Mantra. Therefore, it must have been by the strength of someone else that they were so daring. Actually... That was a fact. Although the members of the so-called Hindu society had followed the social customs and formulas, they had practically forgotten to execute their religious principles strictly. But with the presence of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, they actually began following the regulated principles according to his order. That order is still existing. And anywhere and everywhere, in all parts of the world, one can execute it. That order is to become a spiritual master under the direction of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu by following the regulative principles, chanting daily at least, how many rounds? 16 rounds. You're just checking. Nothing's changed since 1976 when this was written. Okay, 75. Rather. 16 rounds of the Hare Krishna Maha Mantra and preaching the cult of Krishna consciousness all over the world. If we adhere to the order of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, we shall get spiritual strength without a doubt, and we shall be free to preach this cult of the Hare Krishna movement and not be hampered by anyone. Oma Jnana Timirandasya, Jnananjana Shalakaya, Chakshur Unmilitam Jaina, Tasmai Shri Gurave Namaha. So Hare Krishna, everyone. So delighted Delighted to be with you again today. Today is Bhaktivedanta's open day. Now, how many days of the year are we open? 365 days. We would be open 366 if they would let us. But the government has stopped us having 366 days in the year. So uh, we are open every day, but today is special because today is the open day. Okay. Today is the open day. Okay. Good. <laughs> Come and see our technological, technological strength. Okay. Um, so we are expecting anywhere between 1,200 and 3,000 people to come from the local area. So I've been on strict, uh, strict orders from Radha Govinda. <laughs> Do not go over 8.30. Okay. So Hare Krishna. To, today this verse, uh, you know, uh, Nishkinshan said he was saving this verse up for me. So I thank him very much. Because we have Hindus, we have Islam, we have, it all comes together in this verse. Uh, but this verse, we hear about suppression of the Hindus. We hear how principles, religious principles, can, if we're not careful, be forgotten over a generation or two. We hear of a revival movement, and we hear that a spiritual revival movement is based on regulative principles, spiritual dynamic principles. And Prabhupada says here, chanting the names of the Lord 16 rounds a day and preaching. One time Prabhupada was very, you should say very, very critical. For as much as he was generous and loving, Prabhupada was also critical. Don't have the smiling face of Prabhupada on your wall if you don't also have the critical face of Prabhupada on your wall. Depending on which mood you are in, you'll have to go and see a particular face of Srila Prabhupada. Prabhupada was very critical of nonsense. He's very, what is nonsense? It's something that doesn't make sense. So Prabhupada was very quick to root out nonsense. Huh? Even devotees in Los Angeles, in the temple shop, they were selling cream cheese, cottage cheese. And Prabhupada looked at it and he said, what is this nonsense? 
Anyway, that's deflated everybody who likes to eat cottage cheese. I better pick you, <laughs> I better pick you all up now. So Prabhupada was very intolerant of nonsense. You know, things that did not make sense, things that weren't according to Krishna consciousness. But at the same time, even in the face of a disciple disobeying his order, uh, finding it difficult to follow his order, he would be very loving and very considerate. Okay. Spiritual master has to be both of these things. So you'd never know quite what to expect. So, uh, here, Nishkinchen, are you staying? This class is just for you. I've composed this class. Look, I have so many sheets. So many sheets to inform. Uh, I would like to say a special mention to the 150 people or so who are watching at home. I know you can't uh, get in to be with us this morning, but many, many will be watching at home. So, Hare Krishna to you. Um, so, I want to say something about Sharia. Sharia law. Because this is the purport where we can talk about it. Why were the Hindus oppressed for so many years? It was because of Sharia law. We have heard about Sharia law recently, haven't we? Again, it's become something that we all have to deal with. Sharia is a word which means the path to the oasis. The path to the oasis, a place where you go get nourishment. Everybody's trying to follow the path to the oasis, so the path, Sharia. And it's a process, not just a law or a rule, but a process that interprets the life of Muhammad and the things that he said and the things that he did. Uh, that means the Quran, what was dictated to him by the Archangel Gabriel, which became the Quran, the Sunnah, which became the, the, the principles he put in place, do these things, the Hadith, which is what other people said about him, and also the Fatwa, uh, ever since, uh, what was his name? Uh, Rushdie, Salman Rushdie. That was the first time we in England had heard of the word fatwa. A fatwa means an edict or ruling made by the, uh, the, dis those who discuss jurisprudence. Jurisprudence is where religion meets law. So the fatwa, sunnah, hadith, and Quran, they all come together to make uh, sharia. So these days we say sometimes that a country is following Sharia law, but no one follows Sharia law purely because it doesn't quite make it. The rules and the laws for the 7th century don't quite make it in the 21st century. So what we have even in Muslim countries is a mixture of Sharia and local or international law quite often. Uh, so Sharia is Islam. Sometimes it's very tempting, even for our devotees who have come to me and said that uh, you know Islam is nothing more than Krishna consciousness, simply using another name for God. In other words, because Prabhupada, a few times he said, if you want to chant the names of God, we are happy. You may have your own name of God. You may chant Jehovah. You may chant Allah. You may chant Rama. You may chant Krishna. Any name of God that you choose. So by extrapolating that one principle, the devotees have come to me and they've said, but Islam is the same as Krishna consciousness. It's exactly the same. It's bhakti. Uh, in Bhagavad Gita, Krishna says everybody's on his path, so everybody's doing bhakti. Therefore, <laughs> and they expectantly wait for me to say, ah yes, you've understood completely. <laughs> However, we should, we should understand that uh, Sharia is Islam, it's not something separate. So the rules that you see being applied is based on the life of Muhammad. So do not think that they are two uh, intrinsically different things. Similarly, do not think that those who are Islamic extremists are extremists, that they're following another, another book. They're following the same book. Okay, it's all one book. It's all one entity. I just want to make that point in case I don't have anything left to say at the end. So uh, we here who have been brought up in the Western world, we have been brought up, not those of you who have been brought up in Indian families, but those of us who have been brought up in the Abrahamic faiths, we can trace our faith back to Abraham. Abraham, you know, he married uh, Sarah and uh, had a son, Isaac. And Isaac was the one that God told him to sacrifice your son. 
And just as he'd raised the knife, uh, you know, God said, okay, I was just testing you. <laughs> but then his wife, Sarah, had a maidservant called Hagar. And Hagar uh, also had a son with Abraham. And his name was Ishmael. And the prophet Muhammad said that Ishmael is the, uh, in the family tree of Muhammad. And, of course, from Isaac came, uh, you know, Isaac uh, married uh, Rebecca, and they had Jacob, and from Jacob married Rachel. Uh, Jacob married Rachel, and they had uh, Joseph, him of the Technicolor dream coat, <laughs> the coat of many colors. And when, uh, who? Jacob. Jacob married Leah and gave birth, who gave birth to uh, Judah. Hence, the father of the Jews, and from him, in that family line, comes King David. And um, in the line of King David, who wrote the Psalms of the Bible, comes uh, uh, Jesus Christ. So everybody is claiming the Jews go back to Judah, and Jesus Christ goes back to that line, and then uh, Muhammad goes back. So therefore, it's called the Abrahamic family tree. Now, all of that should not... Um, interest us because we're just interested in pure Krishna Bhakti, but because we're preachers, because we have, we have to uh, uh, present Krishna consciousness, Hare Krishna. Shalom Shalom, and Shabbat Shalom. <laughs> so he heard the names of Joseph and Judah and Jacob, and he felt I had to come to this class. <laughs> so welcome. So. Uh, we have, to, we have to know something. And certainly you have to know something if the history of the Krishna consciousness movement began with the persecution. And certainly Srila Prabhupada puts it in here. Persecution comes from a certain concept. And it comes from a Kanishta concept. That I cannot allow any pollution into the way of life that I've chosen. That is Kanishta. Kanishta means it's all about being in a space where you cannot allow pollution to, to uh, destroy my uh, spiritual life. So we were talking of Jesus, the Jew, who people followed and became Christians. We were talking about uh, Muhammad who came in that line. So how old is Judaism? Hmm? Any experts here? Ah, yeah, I have in my book here, which comes from... <laughs> Good sources, but you're, you're a practitioner. So we'll say 4,000 years. So some people say Moses received the commandments, the laws from God, uh, 1300 BC. So that makes 3,300 years. So we can say Judaism from that point, 3,300 years. And Christianity, how old is Christianity? Well, you just have to look at the calendar, don't you? It's 2000, 2,018 years old. Okay, traditionally, give or take three or four years. And Islam? How old is Islam? Huh? Hmm? Any advance on 600? 1500. Muhammad died in 632. From 632, it spread towards the first place in India to be conquered was Bengal. First place, the Hindu Kush. And all that first place to be the kingdom was set up. So this is the history. So here we have Muhammad receiving revelations at the age of 40. And then he had to wait three years before another set of revelations. This became the Quran. Now he preached for 13 years in Mecca, the place where he was born and where he lived for 52 years. He was preaching. People said, no, not interested. Some people said, yeah, maybe. Some people said, you know, that goes against what we've already been following for a long time. And of course, the others were not interested. Hmm? So a lot of people, Mecca was a trading place. A lot of people trading there. Christians were there. Jews were there. Okay. They weren't interested. We've got our own thing. So for 13 years, he made 150 converts. 150 in 13 years. Is that good preaching? What would you say? For us, would you consider that to be strong preaching? He wasn't happy anyway. So then he went to Medina in a famous f flight 
called the uh, called the Hijra, which has come to us as the Hajj. People go on the annual pilgrimage to Mecca, um, Mecca and Medina. So he went to Medina, and then he was he was good. He married Khadija, and then he became good with caravans. Caravans was where all the money was, but there was raiders of caravans. So he made his alliance with those. So by profiting, by raiding, uh, eventually by the time of his death, everybody in Saudi Arabia, what is now Saud, everybody in Arabia was uh, Muslim. So that's good preaching, isn't it? Good preaching. It was a combination, as Prabhupada said. I didn't say it, but I can say these things as I'm repeating what Prabhupada said. Combination of the Quran and the sword, yes. So this went on. Uh, and because of these activities and because of these revelations, because of the sunnah and the hadith and the fatwas and the, the sharia and all of these things, we have an entity that lasted for, has lasted for 1400 years. Now, the fact that it's 1400 years ago doesn't interest us. What we're interested in in this purport is what was going on in the time of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, such that, and I tell you, if you read Chaitanya Bhagavat, either Chaitanya Bhagavat or Chaitanya Mangala, that was written 500 years ago, people like you, uh, people like you, Vaishnavas, as there were Vaishnavas, pre-Chaitanya Vaishnavism was there, they could not blow a conch. This was the law. You cannot blow a conch shell. You cannot ring a bell. If you're a Jew, you cannot blow the shofar. Huh? If you're a Christian, you cannot ring a church bell. Why? The only thing that must be heard in public is the call to prayer. Huh? This is, this is, these are the rules. So they come in. They defeat the... First of all, they, they come to India. And they have a name. And it's not a nice name. Either they call them kafirs, or they call them uh, nejas, which means filth, or they call them Hindus. Hindus simply means the other side of the river Indus or Sindhu. And it means nothing. So Hindu is on the same level with a person. There's only three principles, only three principles, two principles. One principle is the world of Islam, where everybody's following the commandments of God as given to the final prophet. And you, you should understand that Muhammad is the final prophet. There's no one else. Huh? Not A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada, not this one, not that one. The final word that God has to say to humankind is there in Muhammad. Therefore, what you're doing is wrong. Because if you're not following Muhammad, you're doing something wrong. Therefore, there's only one thing you can do. There's either the world of uh, Islam or the world of war. These two principles are there. So you have three things you can do. You submit and you take up Islam. Okay? Second thing you can do, you can become a dhimmi. You can become a, 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 a live a life of servitude as a second-class citizen and pay a jizya or tax. And the jizya must be paid on your knees. The jizya has to be paid on your knees. This is what brought about the destruction. Sometimes we wonder, why did Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's movement go so badly wrong after the time of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu? Because the gurus had to pay jizya. Those who came in the line of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, they had to pay jizya. And so some of them, unfortunately, had to make extra disciples in order to pay the jizya. So therefore, this business of making disciples simply for money, that was brought about. So it wasn't just, you know, our principle, our mistakes. Uh, or you can die. This is the other principle. You can convert, die, or pay the jizya. So here we have a situation in Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's time when uh, this tax is being paid. And this is a very real tax. This is a system. It wasn't a tax. Everybody pays tax in every system. You pay between 15% or 25% tax. So that's just the tax that you have to pay. And on top of that, you have to pay the jizya. And you have to kneel before the, uh, the, the, someone like the Nawab and pay, pay your taxes. And if you're a good person and you pay your taxes, you can, you can get on. In the 9th century, or the 900 AD, that's 300 years after the death of Muhammad, in Iraq, what is today Iraq, near Babylon, uh, 
the king thought it would be a good idea to give insignia to everyone. So for the Christians, it was a belt huh? known as a zonar. They had a belt. They wore a belt. Our, our modern-day trouser belts is a derivative of that. And to the Jews, of course, a yellow star was given. It wasn't the Nazis who originated that. The yellow star was given to indicate who you are. And if you saw someone on one side of the street, if you saw an imam on one side of the street, you had to cross over to the other side of the street. So the imam would not be polluted. You see where this is going, don't you? You see where this is going. And we have the full flowering of that. I say that uh, at this point we should be very clear about this principle, that we are very respectful towards people. Muslims are people, therefore we're very respectful. We are Vaishnavas. We deal with everybody with humility. But people are different from ideas. And as Vaishnavas, we deal with ideas very strongly. Because truth can never, ever be sacrificed on the altar of political correctness. Truth can never be sacrificed for any other principle. Truth, satyameva jayati. Huh? Truth must be there. So philosophy is a quest for truth, because truth is reality. And Vaishnavas are very interested in dedicating themselves to reality, the beautiful reality that is Krishna. So if an idea that is not in concert with that raises his head, then at least there must be discussion. I, but I have seen many devotees don't like to discuss this. Political correctness dominates philosophical discourse. And if you cannot discuss an idea, if you cannot name an idea, if you cannot criticize an idea, then we are finished. Our discourse is finished. Our philosophy is finished. Do you understand? We must be able to discuss ideas. So that's what I wanted to say. Any questions? No. I have a little more, just in case you're wondering. So now, what does Krishna say about Islam? Can you give me any suggestions? What does Krishna say about Islam? Krishna speaks the Bhagavad Gita. Bhagavad Gita is the word of truth. What does Krishna say about Islam? Mm, yeah. yeah, he says that. It's not specifically about Islam. What does he say? Anyone answer? Not a trick question. All right, it is a trick question. Krishna says nothing. 5,000 years ago. Christianity wasn't there. Islam wasn't there. Many religions weren't there. But what does Krishna say? He says, Chattamashloka in the Bhagavad Gita is abandon all varieties of dharma that compromise with selfless dedication and devotion and love and surrender to me. I'll protect you from all sinful reactions. So he doesn't say anything. Uh, so we have, uh, you know, but he says, he says many things about varieties of dharma. Because that's Krishna's charama shloka, it's his last instruction. So he gives a lot of instructions to Arjuna where he talks about religions, and religion comes from the word religare. Religare means to adopt rules for yourself that you put into practice in your life that will help you get to the goal. We have these, this understanding of Sambandha, Abhideya, and Prayojana, or the, uh, the, 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 your understanding of your relationship with God and how you've forgotten that relationship with God, your process, your Abhideya, how to regain that relationship, and Prayojana, full-flowered fruits of that process. This is yoga. has a beginning, and you have to know where you're going. If you don't know where you're going, then you won't get there. You have to know exactly where you're going, and you have to be satisfied. So there's a certain point people come to the Hare Krishna movement, and I like some things that you say, but I don't like other things that you say. Okay, that's good. You're, we're on the right track. Now we can discuss. Now we've got something to talk about. You can go and see Govinda, and he'll put you straight. Or you can go and talk to Maharaj, and he'll put you straight. Okay. I like this, but I don't like this. Krishna says, the reason you don't like this is because you're influenced by the guna, by triguna. Hmm? Triguna gives way to lust, intense cravings, 
to anger, to greed, and this opens the way to confusion, bewilderment, loss of memory, and falling again into the material illusion. So the gunas work in such a way as to take the pure devotion of the soul and to render it into a color. Prabhupada says the diamond, the diamond has fallen into the mud. It's still a diamond, but you have to wash off the mud. So the mud is the mud of the material world. It's the, it's the colorings, uh, the colorings. And still, even when you have a perfect diamond, if you put it up against this gentleman's blue t-shirt, nice shirt, uh, you look as if you're about to go into the operating theater. If you, if you put a diamond up against a, a blue shirt, it will look blue. Up against an orange sari, it will look orange. Uh, it will look different colors. Why? Because it's pure and clear and crystal clear and transparent. So therefore, we have to be aware of the influences on our crystal clear heart, our crystal clear soul, which is the real self. So Krishna outlines that in the Bhagavad Gita. He says some people are on a higher path and some people are on a lower path, and that's the reality. The lower path consists of the lower modes of nature and the higher path consists of the higher modes of nature. The modes of nature contribute towards your personal habits. Your personal habits contribute towards your misconceptions. Your misconceptions contribute to your activities. And your actions either free you, they liberate you, or they bind you. The whole message of the Bhagavad Gita is illusion binds you and yoga frees you. That's it. You can condense the Bhagavad Gita into these two things. Illusion binds you. So how am I becoming free from illusion? Well, you have to understand how the illusion is working on you. So within that illusion, there are very sophisticated mechanisms for keeping you bound up to the material world. Krishna talks about having various objects of worship. Who is God? Who is God? Hmm? Doesn't matter, it doesn't matter what name you call God, but who is God? What is the destination after death? Firstly, do you know that you will die in a very short time? What is your destination? Are you sure that your destination is like this or like this? What destination have you chosen? Krishna talks a lot about having uncontrolled senses. Having a peaceful mind. Worshipping lower gods, things that are not God, in order to get heavenly delights. And then he talks about a Jopisan of Yayatma, Bhutanamishwaropisan. He talks about people who deny his form. You see? So in all these ways, Krishna is talking about conditionings. Now you drop a diamond into those conditionings, and you will get a conditioned diamond. You'll get conditioned habits, conditioned conceptions, conditioned speech, and a conditioned or conditional religion. And Krishna is very clear about it. So we have no issue with any particular religion. We just say, if it's not consisting of Krishna's recommendations in Bhagavad Gita, which predate all the religions, then you won't have yoga. And yoga is the prerequisite for religion. Religion without yoga simply becomes speculation. And it simply becomes a nice thing for the people who follow it. But at best it can be tribalism. Hmm? Tribalism or a personality cult. Or just a good try. It's a good try at God consciousness. So are we faulting that? No, we don't want to fault anybody. Vedic culture, let me tell you, Vedic culture was not a Krishna conscious culture. A lot of times we talk about Krishna consciousness as if it was the religion of Vedic culture. No. Vedic culture was the most multi-ethnic, multicultural society in history. Let me repeat that again. Vedic culture was the most multi-ethnic, multi-systemic, multi-religious society in history. That's why Hinduism as a catch-all term just really doesn't work. Really doesn't work. Firstly, because it was a name given by Islam. Second, because it's a, a catch-all term that's an umbrella term that describes thousands upon thousands of different ways of reaching the absolute truth. 
but they all got on. How did they all get on? People should look at ancient Indian history to see how everybody got on, how they were managed to be peaceful. Anyway, um, this is very much in conflict with current modes of thinking, which uh, current the current political mode, and it it, it it sort of political mode is generated from the current academic mode. Uh, it comes from the universities. It filters into politics, and politics it comes down into our social uh, discourse. So what we feel that we are allowed to say and how we are allowed to discuss, that becomes very much governed by who's in charge, what predominant ethics are in, ch are in charge. So in our, uh, what people call our postmodern world, uh, which is a world of you know, frustrated cultural Marxism, people think that actually, if you want to survive in a multi-ethnic, multicultural world, you cannot have an opinion or voice an opinion about any other ethnic or any other cultural. You see? See where that's going? So that closes down the intelligentsia. It closes down intelligent discourse. And this movement is the one movement that should keep that, should fight to preserve that. Because if we get closed down, then there's not much, not much help. So sometimes devotees come to me and they say, well, I think you're wrong, Kripamoya. You've developed a little, you know, you, you can't be anti-anybody. I said, I'm not anti-anybody. I'm anti-some ideas. Because they're not yoga. You see? And so then we find, then we find in the name of seeing everybody equally, devotees have to, they, they extrapolate and they draw a parallel. In other words, that if you see everybody equally, you should be equally disposed to any philosophy. Okay? If all things are equal then Buddhists are no different than Krishna conscious people. Then Christians are no different from Krishna conscious. What's the difference? There's no difference. I hear that a lot. You don't hear it so much in the temple, but I hear it in the homes, in the congregation. Everybody's equal, right? Everybody's equal. Everybody's worthy of respect. Yes, everybody's worthy of respect, but not every idea is worthy of respect. That's the point. People and ideas are separate. So samatvam, this idea of equality, the Prabhupada says, yes, we see the tiger as a spirit soul. This is samatvam. But still I do not embrace the tiger. I see the tiger as a spirit soul. I'm a soul, tiger is a soul, but I do not embrace, I do not embrace the tiger. A couple of nights ago, you may have heard the story, a couple of nights ago, two poachers, two poachers broke into, uh, uh, a game reserve in South Africa. You know the story? They broke in with their night vision goggles. They're very well kitted out. And they're repeating rifles. And they wanted rhinoceros horn. They go for rhinos. Because they want the horn, can they sell it to China? So it's the scourge of the world. We are, we're losing. No, <laughs> we're losing tigers. We're losing elephants. We're losing rhinos all over the world. Wherever they live. So... They broke in, they had their bolt cutters, they're fully equipped, they broke in. In the morning, uh, all they found was two skeletons. It just happened this week, because, <laughs> I shouldn't laugh, because they'd broken in to kill animals, but the animals killed them. They were killed by a pride of lions. Not only killed by the lions, but eaten by the lions in the night. Hare Krishna. It's called instant karma. <laughs> So the point here is, yes, a lion, a tiger is a spirit soul just like me. And I see with equality, I see with equal vision. But I don't get into the lion's cage. And I don't embrace the tiger. We should be very, very careful of this. So no bells, no conches, and no conversion. Now, our, we, we, every day when we bow down, we say these words, these sacred words, that are part of our ISKCON tradition. For the last 500 years, we've said these words. Namacharya, Srila, Haridas Thakur ki jai. Haridas Thakur was a Muslim. He was a Muslim. Because if you're born Muslim, you stay Muslim. And that's the principle. 
You're born Muslim, you stay Muslim. So he was a Muslim. He was not persecuted because he was chanting Hare Krishna. He wasn't persecuted because he was chanting Hare Krishna. He was persecuted because he was born a Muslim and he chanted Hare Krishna. There were many other people who were born Muslim and chanted the names of God on beads. Many others. But they chose one of the 99 names of Allah. But God forbid, if you chose to chant Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. He was known as an offender, and he was to be killed. And the way you kill an offender is in the marketplace. And as we know with the recent uh, dealings of ISIS, ISIS with people in the marketplace, they would kill people in the marketplace. Why? Because that is how you send out a message. So Haridas Thakur is going to be killed in the marketplace, in front of everybody. That's where everybody goes. They go to the marketplace. And the, 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 the means of death was by sugarcane. Sugarcane is a stick, and it's very sweet. So the inside is sweet, but when it's on your back, it is very slow, painful way to go. So he was, they were whipping him in one marketplace. Didn't work. He didn't die. This was the problem. So they took him to another marketplace. And in all that day, 22 marketplaces, he was being whipped. So I just want to give you the picture, the historical picture here, that those who worship Vishnu could not ring bells or blow conches. They had to pay a tax. Now, how revolutionary was it when they started doing kirtan with cartels and madungas? Not only during the day, but in Srivast Thakur's courtyard at night. Just imagine. That in itself was a revolutionary act. So, certain people were afraid, and these were the smarter Brahmins. And by this time, uh, in order to deal with Islamic aggression, there was uh, two things were happening. One on the one side of India, which was eventually became the Sikhs, and on this side of India became the Tantrics. It was just ways of coping. So the Tantrics went to the Chankazi and said, these people are, you know, it's very bad. They're waking God up. And the smarter Brahmins went, he said, well, eventually I will have to do something. So he came and immediately broke the Madunga. There was no polite discourse. I would like to remind you of Sharia law, subsection 3, paragraph 42, clause number 8. No drums shall be played at night. I'm going to give you one warning. And No, there was no, no question. You take your drums, you smash the drums. They're made of clay. No more. So how revolutionary was it? How revolutionary was it? Can you imagine that when thousands of people took to the streets... Thousands of people took to the streets and they came out and they did Sankirtan all around the city, all around Navadweep, in defiance. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Not only that, but a hundred thousand of them went by torchlight, and we'll read about that later on, went by torchlight to the Chankazi's house and he was very fearful. Chaitanya Charitamrita doesn't describe it, but Chaitanya Bhagavat describes it. That the people there, they had Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. They thought, well, this is a revolution. This is a revolution. And they thought, this is a physical revolution. So they started pulling up. They started trashing the Chankazi's garden. Pulling up bushes, pulling up flowers, throwing things around. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu said, no, we're not going to do it that way. Okay? We're not going to do it. We're going to discuss. And there on the doorstep, they discussed the Quran and the Vedas. They discussed. We have a discussion. Let's have a discussion. Because in a discussion between the Quran and the Vedas, he knows, he knows what will, what will prosper. So what did Prabhupada say in all of this? It's all very well. What Krishna says, what this is a history, that's very nice. What Kripamoya says, okay, he's like that. He can say whatever he likes. But what did Prabhupada say? The reason it's controversial the reason we have controversies sometimes in our ISKCON movement is because Prabhupada said two things. And depending on who you are, you take, a, you take one side or the other side. You say, look, Prabhupada said this, and another person says, no, no, he said this. <laughs> well, the fact is he said both things. 
When Prabhupada was in Tehran, it was before the revolution in Tehran in 1979. And I'm going to finish in five minutes, okay? I'm finishing soon. So in, in, they had a revolution, an Islamic revolution in 1979 in Tehran. So before that revolution took place, Prabhupada was encouraging his devotees there in their preaching to be very mild in their preaching. So the azan was going and, you know, people were singing and, and, uh, devotees went to Prabhupada. And because the azan, azan, azan goes all over the city. So then, uh, they came to Prabhupada and they said, uh, wouldn't it be nice, Prabhupada, if instead of, you know, broadcasting this, they were broadcasting the Hare Krishna mantra? And Prabhupada said, no. He said, I am not sectarian. I am not sectarian. They have a name of God. They chant the name of God. You see? See? So in Tehran, is, is uh, you know, I've, you have to be very, also you have to be very careful what you do. Sometimes I have given class in uh, Tehran by, by Skype. And there the devotees are sitting very nicely. Uh, ladies on one side, men on another side. And all the ladies have the chador uh, or the hijab. And uh, I'm giving, but hijab with tilak. <laughs> I have to wash it off before I go into the street. So in some countries, even today, we, we have to be extremely careful. Um, Bahrain is a very nice place. Devotees are free to walk around in Doti, Tilak. But just the other side, in Saudi Arabia, you cannot do anything. Okay? You cannot do anything. You know, the Jeff, you know. <laughs> Dubai is, you know, a little bit. So we have to be careful in some places. In some places, you still cannot do kirtan. Uzbekistan, Kazakhstan, Pakistan. Usually the stands. The country ends in Stan, you better watch out with your Harinam. <laughs> or your Sankatan. No Sankatan in a Stan. But in Pakistan now we have, uh, we have devotees. We have devotees who do kirtan, but they do it in the mountains. Okay? And sometimes they send videos. <laughs> so we have to be careful. So in order to honor that, Prabhupada was also very careful. But in another place, Prabhupada was asked about religions where they, uh, because Krishna says everybody is on my path. This is a fact. Everybody is on the same path back to Krishna. That's fine. We accept that principle. That's the first principle. Everybody's, 240, chapter 2, verse 40, Bhagavad Gita. Krishna says every, everybody's on the path. Sorry, was that wrong? No, it's not that one. I'm sorry. I'm thinking of something else. So, um, Everybody's on the same path. But, you know, uh, if you're going from London to Glasgow, everybody's on the M1, or London to Leeds. Everybody's on the M1, but not everybody's at the same place. Some are very near London, some are near, more near Leeds. Some are near Harrogate, you know, some are in between. Okay? So you have to see that there are, there's a hierarchy of different conceptions, that is yoga. Just like when you're raising the Kundalini, when there are, I dealt with yogis last week. When you're raising the kundalini, you're raising the kundalini from the base of the spine to the top of the skull. Okay? And in between, there are very, for the tantric yogi, there are temptations. You know, there are gods and goddesses, beautiful goddesses, at different parts of the spine that come and tempt him on his way. So anytime anybody engages in meditation, from meditation comes temptation. You know? So I don't know what's happening. I, I sat down to do meditation and all of a sudden I'm being tempted by these visions of beautiful dancing girls. What's going on? I had a peaceful mind before I started meditation. Yes, it's because when you start meditation, you're declaring war on Maya. You see? And the illusion says, all right, we got another one now. <laughs> Let's give him. What's your favorite illusion? What's your favorite Maya? That's the maya that will come to you when you're meditating. So for the tantric yogi, it comes the, the scheduled, scheduled, you know, scheduled temptations at different points in the spine. So with us, we have to understand that maya comes to us in the form of different places where we stop. 
So everybody is on the path towards Krishna. But those who are animal killers, Pashugna, huh? what happens, Prabhupada said, is, is yes, they're also doing bhakti. They're also doing bhakti. It's all bhakti. But it is tenth class. Tenth class bhakti. So you can say that everything is bhakti, my dear Samatvam Vaishnava. That's fine. But some of it is tenth class. Some of it is fifth class. And you have to go through those classes before you get to Kanishta, which is third class. Okay? So then we, then we start moving. Then we start moving ahead. So don't be un, under any uh, illusion. So Prabhupada wanted us to uh, 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 preach. And uh, what a successful thing. And we have, to do, we have to do preaching in a way that is sustainable. And uh, Prabhupada writes here that in Pakistan and Bangladesh it is difficult. When Pakistan, when Prabhupada was writing this, uh, Pakistan, Bangladesh had only recently become an independent country in 1971. It was East Pakistan. Then it became Bangladesh. And the Hindu population of Bangladesh was so many percent. And now the Hindu population in Bangladesh is down, 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 down. You can plot a chart of the Hindu population of Bangladesh. So it is coming more. Those countries that are ruled by Sharia are becoming more, 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 more aggressive in their persecution. Not less. Not less. It is not something that is going away with international politics or United Nations. Less. Whether it is Nigeria, and you call it the, what is it called? The Fulani. Or whether it is India, Hizbut Tahrir. Or whether it is Lebanon, Hezbollah. Or it is Gaza, Hamas. Or whether it is Arabia, uh, Al-Qaeda or whether it is Syria and ISIS, wherever you go in the world, it is exactly the same thing. And exactly the same thing means that Hindus will be persecuted. But not only Hindus. Christians, Jews particularly, because people and history seems to reserve a particular type of hatred for them, everybody. Therefore, that is the canary you know that expression? The canary in the mine? When gas is leaking in the mine, they take down a canary in a cage. And if the canary starts flapping, the miners cannot smell the gas, but the canary smells the gas. You see? So the canary in the cage of Western Europe is the Jewish population. And if the Jewish population say that things are getting too hot and they start making aliyah and going home, then others have to. The police, the police rang us up in India. They said, somebody's going to get it from Al-Qaeda today, but we don't know who it is. It could be Bombay, Juhu, Iskon. It could be the Swaminarayan temple. And then there was another temple, big Ganesh temple. We don't know who it is. So devotees were on high alert, Swaminarayan was, everybody was on high alert, and it was the Swaminarayan temple. You remember, Maharaj? You remember that day? So seven people were shot. Seven people were killed. Now that's not very much if you consider. But as an indicator of the way things are going, that is a profound indicator that things are becoming more aggressive. So it's not that this is 500 years ago. It's not that it's going away. Just uh, six months ago, we had a devotee killed in Shantipur. Shantipur, the very place where Advaita Acharya lived. This devotee was killed. Not one of ours, but the local person. And a few months before that, somebody was killed in uh, uh, near Dhaka. Uh, he was picking flowers, picking flowers to do puja in the mandir, one of our Gaudiya Vaishnav sister temples. And he was executed, head cut. So it is not becoming any less. This is Bangladesh. So in Bangladesh, down, down, down. Pakistan, down, down, down. Nigeria, down, down, down. Over the past few years, 6,000 Christians have been killed. So we have to understand this idea is not going away. So we must also, in our way, become arguers for a better idea. We have no swords, we have no knives. You see? But we have our liberty. We have our freedom. And our freedom is our freedom to speak. So do not let any political correctness or any ideas conquer over your freedom to speak.
because speak now or forever hold your peace. <laughs> you speak now. Very important. Speak the truth. All right. So ultimately, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu goes and he speaks without a sword, without a knife, without a grenade, without an Uzi. And he, go, he goes, <laughs> or without one of those guns that fires around a corner, he goes and he goes and he speaks to Chankazi. And Chankazi does the absolute unthinkable thing. The beginning of the story is, is that Chankazi takes away the very symbol of Sri Krishna Sankirtan. Takes away the very symbol, the Murdanga cartels. No, 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 no. At the end of the story, after being convinced by Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and Chaitanya Mahaprabhu setting the example for us all, what happens is Chankazi reaches, he reaches for his symbol, the symbol of his authority. It's a stick with two crescent moons. Islamic is the two crescent moons with a crown on the top. And he gives it to the Vaishnavas and he say, you take this everywhere you go, you take this everywhere you go and they will know because no one would ever dare to take this symbol out in public unless I had given personal authority. So they take that symbol. And to this day, the Vaishnavas like to go on Harinam. All over the world, the Vaishnavas go on Harinam. They think it's a Vaishnav symbol. It's a, symbol, it's a Muslim symbol given by the Chan Kasti. So the first thing that people see in the Harinam party is an Islamic symbol <laughs> with a tilak on it often. So they went everywhere. Everybody knew. Chankazi has given permission. Do not stop the Harinam. So this, my dear friends, is the solution. But is a solution based, Prabhupada says here, on regulative principles. Otherwise, you won't be strong enough to preach. You'll be like putty. Someone will come along with a thumb. You know putty? Putty, they put it in windows. Putty, like clay. Someone will come along with a thumb, touch you once, and you'll go, yeah, I suppose so. I suppose. That's no, you have to be very strong. You have to be very strong. We are trying to redevelop uh, our culture. We're trying to develop our culture. All over the world, we're trying to develop a culture which will last as an oasis, a true oasis, a spiritual oasis for people to come. You see? When you have to develop a culture, you have to work very hard. So that is my conclusion. Work very hard. Regulated principles, as Prabhupada says here, chanting 16 rounds a day, studying his books, and what you read will come out of your mouth. But if you read newspapers, uh, newspapers will come out of your mouth. Uh, if you read social media, social media will come out of your mouth. If you read political correctness, then political correctness will come out of your mouth. But if you read Vaishnavism, then Vaishnavism will come out of your mouth. Understand? Hare Krishna. Thank you very much. All glories to Srila Prabhupada.